Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. I trust you've been tuning in every week as we continue our series on the book of Judges. This series has really blessed my heart because the more I preach it and teach it, the more details and nuggets, it's like mining for gold. You probably don't hear a whole lot of teaching from the book of Judges, especially from a perspective of grace and the finished work. Uh, I'm going to begin to do that in just a few moments. Uh, Let me say before I do that, though, that we are uh, coming into the fall season and we are about to renegotiate our uh, contracts with the television networks that we are on. And I really would like to hear from my audience as to where they are watching from. And if you are watching it through cable or through a dish or through DirecTV or you're using the apps that are available for these networks. Or if you're watching us from YouTube, I think we're going to try to build a uh, good audience on YouTube that's really growing. But if you would let us know, it helps us be able to know where we need to put our resources as we get ready to. uh, And that's imperative. If you don't do that and we go off of the network you're on and you come back and say, well, where did you go? That's because you didn't write us and and tell us where you're watching. Now, we're not going to use that to solicit front funds from you. We just want to know uh, where you're watching from. So you can go to info at lynnhiles.com or go to my website. There's a direct link from there as to where you can email me or write me a letter and let me know where, you are, uh, where you're watching from. It would really help us. Now, we're going to continue this series here uh, on the book of Judges. We started by showing you how that each book of the Bible opens with a few verses that kind of give you the key to what this book is about. For instance, when you open the book of Joshua, it says, Now after, now it says, Now Moses, my servant, is dead. And then he says, Arise now, Joshua, and get ready to take the people into the promised land. So the book of Joshua is about moving from Moses to Joshua, or if you will, the Hebrew name for Joshua is the Hebrew name Yeshua. It is the English word we translate Jesus. I think that's powerful. So the book of Joshua is powerful pictures in type and shadow of what it takes to move from law to grace. How to leave your desert diet of the wilderness journey, of coming out of Egypt, the bondage of servanthood and slavery, which under the law you were servants and slaves. In the new covenant, your heirs and joint heirs. But it's not just about coming out. I think we have been in a season, and there's still a lot of people coming out. There's still a great exodus. There's a lot of people coming out of religion, but they've not come in. So you see, repentance is not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. So you could come out of a lot of stuff, but if you don't go into something, uh, you're left in the wilderness with a desert diet. So Joshua is about moving from Moses to Jesus. Matt, but what's the gospel say? It said, Moses gave you the law but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So it's moving from law to grace. Now we go into the book of Judges, and what I showed you is that it opens in verse 1 by saying, now after the death of Joshua. Say it another way. Now after the death of Yeshua, after the death of Jesus. In the New Testament, after the death of Jesus, there are 12 12 apostles that Jesus looks at him and said, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes 
of Israel. When you go to the book of Judges, it says now after the death of Yeshua, after the death of Jesus, there are 12 judges. Incredible comparisons. But what I begin to show you is that the book of Judges is about executing a judgment that was in your favor. In other words, the death of Jesus exacted, His judgment was your judgment. But it's executing that judgment. It is enforcing what Jesus paid for in His finished work and appropriating by faith what He's accomplished through His death, burial, and resurrection that we start to possess what is ours in our promised land. Because these judges are raised up because the children of Israel were willing to live with some enemies. I think it's amazing to me that even under grace that people have almost used grace as an excuse to keep on living the same way they used to. Now, I, 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 I grant you that the, the, the gospel is not about a rule or a law you have to keep, but it is about receiving a life that will keep you. And I don't know how you could ever come into a relationship with Jesus Christ that it does not out of that relationship begin to transform your life. It's like coming into a marriage. You don't marry that person necessarily to change them, but what happens is, is that you will begin to change because of the blending of this union. Now, I really believe that change comes out of the blending of our union. And I also believe that there are things that are uh, we have allowed, in other words, we're like the children of Israel. There's some things we're willing to live with. Sometimes we're willing to live with addictions. Uh, sometimes we're willing to live with uh, uh, sin. Sometimes we're willing to live with dysfunction in our lives. Sometimes we're willing to live with sickness or sin, poverty, and death. I heard the Lord say this to me the other day. He said, you know, you overcome sin and you resist sin. Why don't you do the same to sickness, poverty, and death? And I, you know, I, I thought of that before, but it just kind of hit me like, hey, that's part of executing the judgment, judgment written. And you know that we have used the text from the book of Psalms. And if you've missed any of these, you can go back and watch them on YouTube. They are archived on our YouTube channel. And let me just encourage you to go subscribe to that. We are trying to build our social media platform there where people can watch that on demand. But you can go back and watch anything that you've missed on our YouTube channel. And it's linked directly to my website. It's easy to find. Just go to my website in the upper right-hand corner. You can click on that link. It'll take you directly there, and you can go back and review some of these things. But we started from Psalm 149. This honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written. That doesn't mean we're calling down fire from heaven. It simply means we're cashing the check on what we have won in the legal battle of what happened at Calvary's cross when he said the judgment is in favor. There's a judgment in favor. He, he, he took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement so you could have peace was laid on him. You are supposed to have peace. You are supposed to, by whose stripes you are healed. That's all stuff that's already paid for. That's, and when we grab that by faith, we are executing the judgment written. So every one of these judges do something in the visible realm that's a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And last week especially, we dealt with uh, Ehud. 
And Ehud was a left-handed man. He was a Benjamite. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. These men and women of God were flawed with human weakness, just like you and I, yet God used them. And I really believe that we are participants with Him even now of His ongoing new creation project. And God's interest is not just getting me from here to heaven whenever I've lived in 70 or 80 years of misery here, but I can bring what's happening there here so that the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. To bring, Jesus said, if I heal the sick and if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God's come to you. In other words, it's bringing the kingdom of God into every situation and living out of the overflow of the promised land. And the promised land in Hebrews chapter 4 is not a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we talked about Ehud last week, who was a Benjamite. First thing that hits my mind about Ehud being a Benjamite is the Apostle Paul said, if you want to know my credentials, here they are. I was circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel. As touching the law, I was blameless, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, he's giving his credentials. He was a Benjamite. And he said, as touching the law, I was blameless, but I count all of that as dung, dung, that I might win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. Well, if you remember Ehud, he's a left-handed man. He's a Benjamite. That speaks to me of people who have an understanding of the Pauline revelation that it's not based on your credentials. It's not based on, as touching the law, I was blameless. It's not based on the fact that his touching the law, he was blameless, or he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, or he was circumcised the eighth day, and the whole list of stuff that he goes on. He says, as a matter of fact, in one place he said, I was the chiefest of sinners. You would have thought Paul was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But when he starts to give his testimony, he's talking about, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day. As touching the law, I was blameless. That's what Paul called being the chiefest of sinners. As a matter of fact, he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ and murdered the saints and those that were of this way until Jesus encountered him, knocked him to the ground, and he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, who you are now persecuting. Paul made a massive shift. And he said, I count all of that as dung that I met with in Christ. Now remember, Ehud was a left-handed man, and he had a two-edged dagger. What we shared with you last week is that that two-edged dagger speaks of the Word of God in Hebrews 4. Now the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. What happens is that the word that flows from rest was plunged into the belly of Eglon, who the Bible said was a very fat man. So this speaks to me of the excesses that are in our life, and it speaks to me also of an obese religious system that is full of legalism. Because when, this, when, when Ehud thrust the two-edged sword into the belly of this obese king of Midian, or Moab, I'm sorry, and until the dirt came out. Man, when I saw him talking about the dirt came out, I'm thinking what Paul said even in, I mean, there's a lot of levels to that. It could be the filth in your life or the excess in your life, but it's also, I think, one of the things God wants to bring deliverance to the church is, is their ideas of legalism and religion. It's an obese religious system, and Paul said, I count it all as dung. Sometimes when you throw the word of grace and the finished work into some religious system, the dirt comes out. 
In other words, when people start getting free from religion, they start testing the waters of freedom, and sometimes it gets messy, it starts getting stinky. Here's the problem. A lot of preachers don't want to preach this because they know that if they preach it, it's going to bring some things to the surface that have been hidden, and they just as soon sweep it under the rug and keep it underneath of hiding behind some kind of a religious facade. But let me tell you, Ehud thrust that sword in until the dirt came out. I'm going to keep on preaching the finished work of Jesus Christ because I believe executing that judgment that He exacted is the only thing that brings true, real deliverance to the people of God. Now, I've, I've spent almost half this program in review of, of Ehud. We're going to go to the next guy by the name of Shamgar. I like his name, Shamgar. That sounds like one bad dude. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. That's one verse about him. There's only a few verses about him, but in chapter 5 it also says, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways, and the village ceased life. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, and arose a mother in Israel. Now, what it says concerning Shamgar is that Shamgar killed 300 Philistines with an ox goad. So the first thing that I want to say to you is that when I think about Shamgar uh, killing with an ox goad, first of all, I'm thinking he is not a military strategist like Moses. This is an ordinary man who's a farmer. He, he, he simply he, he wants to keep his, his oxen. He's got an ox goat. His weapon is unusual. What's incredible about all of these judges is they have unusual weapons. Ehud had probably the most common. It was a two-edged sword. You've got Shamgar with an ox goat. You've got Gideon with a trumpet and a, a candle, uh, you know, and a uh, earthen vessel. You've got Samson with the jawbone of an ass. You got JL with a nail. All of these people are using something that's within the sphere of what they do. I, 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 I could side. Let me just sidetrack a little bit here. I think sometimes what we what we need to understand is probably what we're good at is maybe what God would use. You know, I, I I can remember growing up and people saying, well, you know, uh, you know, if you love your boat, you need to get rid of your boat because God wants, you know, it's an idol to you. If you love music, you need to get rid of your guitar because it's an idol to you. No, I think what, what that means is maybe God put that in your hand as a passion because that's what you're supposed to use. If you've got a boat, let me suggest something. Use that as your weapon. Take some kid fishing and get him off the street. Find somebody who don't have a dad and spend a few hours with him. Uh, you say, well, you know, I don't have, get your guitar, learn how to play some music and use that as a weapon. Or, you know, if you've got a hammer and you're a carpenter, walk across the street and fix the steps for the lady that's elderly that can't, that's going to fall down and break her leg if somebody don't help her do something, can't afford to pay somebody. In other words, there's stuff within the grasp of our own hands. If you're a sports guy, you know, maybe God wants to use you in, in, in financing, helping, you know, people uh, in sports or doctors. In other words, whatever is probably your passion is what you're called to do. So Shamgar is a farmer. He's not a military strategist. All he wants to do is plant a seed and reap a harvest. He wants to simply go to the field with his cattle and bring them home safely. 
but he's got to go through the byways and the sideways. And all the travelers could not use the highway. They all had to take the back roads because the Philistines were like bandits that were there to just absolutely, uh, you know, rob and steal and plunder people on the highway. The highways were unoccupied. The first thing I want to think about when I think about Shamgar as being a farmer is when I think about a garden, I think about the finished work of Jesus. Everything he did in his finished work, he did it in a garden. He prayed in a garden. He prayed until he sweated. He sweated until he bled. He has to bleed because if he bleeds and one touch of blood from the divine brow that's sweating ever touches the cursed earth, it will reverse the curse of the book of Genesis that says you must earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Jesus sweated because he knew it would redeem us from the curse of the law. He, he had a crown of thorns to redeem us from the earth. will bring forth thorns and thistles and to redeem us from every thought of depression and suicide and, 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 and fear and trembling. Uh, he, he, he was crucified in a garden. He was buried in a garden. You know, it's amazing to me that Adam has a garden and he turns it into a graveyard and Jesus takes a graveyard and he turns it into a garden. Adam has access to a tree of life and he chooses a tree of death and Jesus chooses a tree of death and turns it into a tree of life. And it's not an accident that when God planted the garden, put the man eastward in that garden, it very powerfully pictures the finished work of Jesus Christ because when he puts him in the garden, he tells him, garden, keep this garden. And he says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Right in the middle of a finished work, God puts a man and says, garden, keep the garden. Said another way, garden, keep the finished work. Remember, Shamgar is a farmer. Maybe what he's symbolizing to us is that we need to garden, keep the finished work. It's not an accident that when Jesus was planted, he was planted in a garden. Why not? Because he was the corn of wheat that had to bring forth a new crop, a new species, a whole new thing that he was about to do. And when he got up from the dead and the stone was rolled away in a garden place, Mary walks up to him and says, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. He, in fact, was the gardener, and he just put them back in a finished work in a new covenant paradigm where now the curse has been reversed and the finished work is now ours to enforce. With that thought, I want you to go, if you will, with me into Isaiah chapter number 43, and uh, let's take a look at a verse there because we're going to probably be dealing with Shamgar for a couple uh, a couple. Uh, of programs. Uh, Isaiah 43 is where we're going to turn to, and it uh, in, in about midway down through here, it, it says this. Let me see if I can find I think it's about verse 13. Verse number 15, it says, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Now remember, in the days of Shamgar, the highways were unoccupied. Well, God begins to establish here in Isaiah 43, I'm the Holy One, I'm the Creator, and I'm the one that makes a way in the sea. And he's really alluding to the fact that he can roll back the Red Sea and create a highway and a path. 
He goes on to say, Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power? They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will watch this. I will even make a highway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. So he begins to say to them, listen, am I not the God that made a highway through the sea? Am I not the God who made a path for you to come out of Egypt? Remember, we're talking, when we're talking about coming out of Egypt, to me in the new covenant, it's coming out of old covenant slave mentalities because Revelation chapter 11 says, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom and Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem, the centerpiece of Old Covenant Judaism. But God is making a way, and He's saying when we look at Shamgar, He is a picture of a judge who is executing New Covenant. Remember, He's a farmer. What I just showed you about the, the garden, it's the finished work. They just want to see a garden grow. And so he's talking about then, he comes and says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. In other words, don't be like the children of Israel saying, would to God we have died in Egypt. Well, we liked it whenever somebody told us when to get up, how many bricks to make, and what to do. In other words, when you have to be personally responsible for decisions and freedom, people don't want freedom. I'm amazed at how much they want somebody else to tell them what to do. We so relinquish, even in our political arenas, our freedoms that I think it's scary how quick people are willing to relinquish their freedoms. But even in church, we're willing to relinquish our freedoms, and we have a slave mentality. He said, but do not remember the former things. He said, behold, I do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and, desert, and rivers in the desert. When he's saying, behold, I do a new thing, he's not talking about the newest song that was written or the newest revival that somebody came up with. The new thing that Isaiah is prophesying that is coming is the new covenant. He's talking about the new covenant. And so when he's talking about the new covenant, the new thing, everything that flows from the new covenant is new tongues, mercies that are new every morning, uh, you know, new creation, uh, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, everything made new. That's the whole thing he's pointing at here. Behold, I do a new thing is not something we quote every time we get ready to have a new revival or we want to change something in the church. Now, methods change. But the message doesn't. But Isaiah was prophesying concerning the new thing being the new thing, being the new covenant, and he's talking about, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the beast of the field will honor me, and the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Shamgar got up one morning, if I can say it like this, and he thought, I think I want to take the highway. But the, 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 but the Philistines are there. So I've got to constantly take the byways. And everybody else is skirting the highways. Nobody wants confrontation. Nobody wants to go and confront these Philistines, these uncircumcised areas 
of our lives. And so I think he probably got up one this one morning and thought, but you know, if I could simply take the highway back to where I want to plow today with my ox. I don't know. Perhaps he had a bad day that morning. Perhaps the ox didn't want to get yoked up. Maybe Miss Shamgar burnt the toast. Maybe he fell over the dog. Maybe uh, finances weren't so good. But something stirred deep within the heart of a Shamgar. And God began to take this simple, peaceful man who simply wanted to be a farmer, and something rose up in him and said, this is my road. I'm talking to somebody today that's listening to my voice. You're tired of skirting the issues. You're tired of being trampled by the enemy. You are tired of not walking in the realities of what the new covenant and the death of Yeshua has exacted for you. And something has begun to stir in you almost of a righteous indignation that says, this is my road. Maybe you're a preacher who's been afraid to preach the gospel because you think, well, I'm just a farmer and I don't like to have conflict and all I've got is an ox goad. What did God say to, I believe it was Saul, it is hard for you <laughs> to kick against the pricks or the ox goad. There are preachers that I'm talking to right now and you know the truth and you won't preach it because you're afraid it's going to split your church or make your crowd smaller. Somebody somewhere is going to say, I'm going to count the cost. It doesn't care if it makes it bigger or it makes it smaller. What's amazing to me is I thought when I went on national television, some of this stuff is probably going to be the end of me if I preach it. But I decided to preach it until nobody wants me to come preach anymore. And you know what happened? The exact opposite. Doors opened everywhere and people were looking for somebody who would get up and say, I've got the guts to preach this new covenant reality and the finished work of Jesus Christ, even though sometimes it can be a fight. This is my road. And so Shamgar went up out. I can see him and, and instead of taking the byways and going through the briars and the brush and the side roads and the shortcuts, what they caught, thought was shortcuts and down through the woods and across the stream. And he said, today, this is my road and I'm going to take the highway home. And he backed up in a cleft of a rock, and by the time he was done, 600 Philistines were laying in a bloody flux. And he had destroyed their enemies and opened the highways. Because I think it is imperative for us, especially that know the gospel and the new covenant, to open back up the highways. And this highway is going to cause waters to break out in the desert. I believe the thirsty are crying, and they're saying, Come on, waters, let it flow. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water so that we can create a path, hallelujah, out of this wilderness and into the restoration of the villages being restored. So the, the villages are not unoccupied. It's because the local churches are empty because we won't open the highway. But this is my road. I'm opening the highway. Well, we're out of time again today. Uh, if you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, the easiest way to do is go there on the website. There's a place where you can give with credit card or debit card through our PayPal portal. You can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number that will come up on the screen. But we do need your help, and we appreciate you sowing into this. If you're being blessed by it, please do it today, and it will be greatly appreciated. Tune in again next week as we finish talking about Shamgar. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.